is for World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the World of Work podcast. We've got another great topic today. We're going to be exploring an idea, a concept, which is talked about as emotional salary. And we're going to be speaking to Cloda Beatty, who is one of the co-creators, co-founders of the organization that looks at emotional salary and this sort of framing and this idea, which is a different way to think about what we get from our experience in the workplace. Before we jump into that topic, though, and explore it in a bit more detail, Clara, could you introduce yourself to the audience and say a little bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Thank you, James, for inviting me. My background is really in the HR arena. I spent a number of years working in a range of different HR and learning roles as a generalist HR manager, learning and development manager, and in HR project and change management roles as well. I'd previously changed as trained as a coach. I had a really strong desire to work for myself. So I left my corporate role, set up my own coaching, training and consultancy business, and I moved to Spain. And after about seven years of working on my own, I met my now business partner, Marissa, Marissa Elizundia. And she was intrigued by this question. If you take money out of the equation, why do we work? And that really was the start of our journey of working together and our research into emotional salary. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks. And Jane, who's not here today, but who's a sort of co-host on the show, she and I have had similar conversations often about what is it. And certainly we're very much motivated by the fact that we know that work can bring us huge amounts of riches that are beyond the payment that we receive and trying to understand those and give people the opportunity to access that breadth of benefit is something that we think is a really good cause to have and something to aspire towards. So your concept that you speak about is emotional Mm. salary. Could you say a little bit about what that is in itself? How does that language come about? What is emotional salary? Tell us a little bit more about that. So our emotional salary is the non-financial or the emotional gains that we get from our work. So those kind of intangible things actually make a huge difference to our experience of working and how we feel about our work. There also tend to be things that motivate us and that they lead to greater levels of fulfillment at work. So an example would be feeling recognized, valued and appreciated when we're at work or being able to have a certain amount of control over the way we do our work or how we manage our time. So in a way, I like to think of emotional salary as as a measure of how fulfilled or satisfied we are with the work that we do. Now, that's not to say financial salary is not important. It's tremendously important. But we can be very satisfied with our financial salary and still be dissatisfied at work um, if our emotional salary needs are not being met. And in fact, when you start to look at the reasons people give for leaving jobs, many of them are focused around these aspects of emotional salary. Yeah. And in terms of your kind of desire to focus on this area, did you see a sort of a need? Is there a deficit? How do you think the majority of the world would be scoring right now on their emotional salary if you were to give them a letter grade? You know, are they getting a A plus or are they uh, failing? Where do you think most of the world is? I think most people are probably around a level of average to good, because what's really interesting that we discovered during our research is that when people start to develop an awareness of their emotional salary, 
it's you get this ah okay I didn't realize I had that wow okay so usually what happens when we work with people and when we use our tool which measures emotional salary people often score much higher than they anticipate because just the very nature of thinking about these questions do you have opportunities for this at work makes them realize that work does give far more than a financial salary so that's why i'd say that people are around that kind of average to good level and that's not to say that there's a lot of room for improvement (laughs) yeah there always is isn't there right Um, i've got another question that's kind of in my mind with things like this it seems like the concept of emotional salary is related to how we perceive what's going on and perceive our experience so i guess i wonder and we'll go on and look at the emotional salary itself in a little bit more detail if we are to improve our score in relation to the emotional salary, what even the balance is between improving the, I guess, the artifacts of our work and, and the things that happen in the work? And how much do you think is improving our relationship and our perceptions and ourselves when it comes to raising up that emotional salary? How much is internal to us and the way we grab life by the smooth handle and how much is based on the reality of the work experience we have? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, that will depend on the individual. But we always talk about it being a three-way process. It's very much about the individual and how much effort and commitment they're prepared to put into the process. But it's also very much to do with the organisation that they find themselves in, the culture of that organisation, the policies, the procedures, the day-to-day stuff, but also their manager or leader and the interactions they have with them on a daily basis, how much support that leader is giving them in terms of the work that they do, their opportunity to progress at work. Yeah. And if we think about people who score highly as high or low, what kind of have the impact? So if I, as an individual, sort of self-reported low levels across the different measurements that go into emotional salary, what would that mean for me in terms of my contribution to the workplace, but also what would it mean to me in terms of my person? Does it correlate with other factors that we should think about? I think when you've got low emotional salary, you're going to be disengaged and demotivated at work. You're probably going to have quite a negative attitude to your work and potentially to the people you come in contact with at work. And obviously, no man is an island. That's going to have an impact on everybody you come into contact with. And we spend so much time at work. If we think about all of our waking hours, the majority of them are spent at work. And if we are feeling disengaged, demotivated, dissatisfied for a large part of our working hours, that is going to translate in having a negative impact on our life outside of work as well. I think it's not always as easy to separate the two things. You don't walk out of the door at work and suddenly become another person. Yeah, that sounds like an ideal state for some people, I'm sure, to be able to get that separation. But in reality, we are one being and there's sort of like balancing of both of us in the work self and the home self. And I like that sort of reference you make there about the contagion of who we are as well and how, you know, the way we carry ourselves and the emotional framing that we have in any moment can seep out and shape the experiences of those around us. Absolutely. Um, Something that we talk about sometimes is that if we help somebody improve the experience that they have at work and get up to this higher level of emotional salary, as you speak about, and get that benefit of fulfillment and the sub-characteristics that I think we'll speak to, that people often have not just that better contribution in the workplace, but they tend to 
go home as more fulfilled people and go into their communities as more fulfilled people and have those crossover and spillover effects that really help shape a little bit more of a positive outcome in the world around them. So it feels like a really lovely sort of fulcrum point to focus on this. Why don't we jump in a little bit more to detail of emotional salary itself? Would you be able to just talk through what you think some of these factors are and what some of the things are that you look for and measure? Yeah, absolutely. When we started our research, we looked at existing research that was out there in relation to what motivates people at work, what engages people at work, what are the kind of things that make a difference in that sphere. So we looked at that. And then we did some focus groups with individuals to explore with them. Let's forget about money. If we forget about money, what is it that's important for you at work? What is it that really makes a difference? And that's how we came up with this framework of 10 different elements or factors. None of them are particularly new. I think everybody will recognize seeing them before, but nobody has actually put them together into a framework like this before. So the first one, autonomy. So autonomy is really about having freedom to manage your working style, your projects and your time. It's about feeling respected and trusted at work, being able to get on with things. And when that doesn't happen, people tend to be micromanaged and that can have a very negative impact on how people feel about their work. The next one is having a sense of belonging. So this is interesting because it's about our sense of connection with the organization, with our team, but it's also about feeling acknowledged at work, feeling seen, feeling appreciated and valued. And there's also an element of having pride in kind of belonging to a team or an organization. And it's a fundamental human need to feel like you belong and to feel that you are valued. So I wouldn't say there's any one of the factors that are necessarily more important than the others, because it differs depending on the individual. But for me, belonging is something for me personally is very important. And I think for a lot of people, it has a fundamental impact. The next one, creativity. So this isn't about having a creative job, like working in marketing or being able to be creative at work. But this is really about being able to explore and develop your own original ideas. So you can be an accountant and be creative. It could be about processes and systems and different ways of doing things. The next one is direction. And this is in relation to our career. So it's about having that opportunity to see and to contribute to a career path. So being able to co-create a fulfilling career path. The next one is enjoyment. And this is to a certain extent about social interactions at work and having authentic social interactions, but it's also about having fun as well. And having the opportunity to just enjoy what you do and enjoy those kind of little breaks during the working day to engage with other people that you're working with. The next one is inspiration. And this is one that's kind of one of the lesser known, I think, factors and one that not many people have really spoken about before. And this is interesting because it's about having an alignment with your values, but really using that to generate this sense of possibility 
and gaining new insights. So it's about being able to see possibilities, being inspired to see just how much you can do. A feeling of hope is strongly correlated with this feeling of hope and sense of hope. The next one is mastery. And obviously, Dan Pink has done a lot of work on mastery and how important it is for motivation. So this is basically about working towards achieving excellence, getting a deeper understanding and over time kind of excelling at what you do. It's not about perfection, but it is about the satisfaction you get from a job really, really well done. And for me, it's about being in flow as well. Often when we work towards mastery, we're very much in flow. We can kind of lose ourselves in the work that we're doing. The next one is personal growth. So this is basically having the opportunity to gain self-awareness and be a better human being. So learning from your mistakes, becoming more reflective and just becoming a better person and having the opportunity to do that through your work. The next one is professional growth. So again, it's in relation to developing yourself, but specifically in relation to the skills and abilities that you need to do your work. It's not just about training. Professional growth is not just about official training courses. It's about getting exposure to stimulating work, getting exposure to other people and learning from other people, peer-to-peer exchange, mentoring, supervision. And again, this element of being able to learn from our mistakes as well. And the final factor is purpose. So feeling that you're contributing to something bigger, to something greater, having a sense of ownership and significance from the work that you do and being able to see how important that is for other people. That's a lovely list for 10 span a big range of the different factors that affect our experience in the workplace from, like you said, from aspects of a personal through to aspects of yeah. our freedom and autonomy. When you work with people and when you do assessments, do you find that there is a consistency of reporting across fees or do you find that they vary largely? So if somebody scored highly in one, would you see that, that correlated with scoring highly in any of the others or does it just bounce all around depending on their circumstances? It can bounce, but there are certain correlations. Like, for example, I don't think it would be surprising that enjoyment and belonging tend to correlate. For example, we've just done an audit recently where they didn't. There was a gap between belonging and enjoyment. And what we were able to establish was that gap was there because people had great relationships and had fun at work. But what was missing was that sense of being kind of valued and appreciated by the organization. Yeah. And other ones that tend to correlate, we've got three that sit quite strongly in that professional development sphere, mastery, professional development and professional growth and direction, which is very much focused on your career and and developing those skills that make you better at your job those technical skills sometimes and those in relation to your career. So they tend to correlate. But what's interesting is direction is often low in a lot of the organisations we work with. That tends to be in the bottom three because people don't feel that there is scope to have a clear career path. And it's not surprising because when we look at the statistics of why people leave jobs, 
it's often that lack of career progression that makes people move on. So I think that's very much in line with what we see there. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you find that different people have different or place different levels of importance on these different factors? Do some of them stand out for everybody? Do some vary by person? What's your take? I think what's really interesting is because one of the things when people complete the emotional salary barometer, which is our tool, which measures emotional salary, as well as asking them questions about these 10 factors, we kind of ask how important they are for them. And for most people, they're relatively important. All of them are relatively important, but the importance depends on the individual. It's very much about what's important for you, but also the stage of life that you're at. For example, somebody who's got caring responsibilities may not be as focused on direction and kind of focusing on moving their career forward because at that stage in their life, they may be looking after an elderly relative and don't have the time to dedicate to moving their career forward. For them, enjoyment might be more important because it's about getting that release when they go to work. So it depends on the individual, but also the stage of life that they're at as well. Yeah. And do you find that there's like a sort of a hygiene threshold to any of these? So if we were to say score whatever, 90% wonderful on nine of them and one of them was at 10%, would that like sway everything down materially? Or would we sort of gloss over that and say, actually, we're averaging whatever 87% or whatever it would be? I mean, obviously, in the terms of an overall score, it would be taken into account, but it would be very clear from the reports that that was something that would be flagged up as an action point. And generally, it's unusual for that to happen, but it can happen when there's just one factor that is very low. And it's usually relatively easy to identify what's causing it. Yeah. And when you, as you said, you went through a process of reading and research and focus groups to come up with this. Were there any other things that you kind of jettisoned or are there any other factors that you thought of around the edges that you thought could have been interesting to have in here, but then decided actually not a priority? Or there are, the, yeah, there actually were. We were originally thinking about having a factor of co-creation. Yeah. But when we kind of explored it a little bit further, we felt that co-creation is a theme that really runs through all of these. Because coming back to what I said earlier about this three-way responsibility, the individual, the leader, and the organization, it's about those three parties working together to co-create a work environment where people can thrive and they can increase their emotional salary. Another factor that we consistently get asked about is security. People say, well, look, security is so, so important. Job security has a fundamental impact on kind of how we feel about our work. We didn't include it because we feel there are elements of it in relation to some of these factors. And also, we feel that these factors, to a certain extent, taking into account the environment that people are in, but there are things that you can do to increase these factors. When it comes to job security, you can't. There's nothing that you can do that can increase your job security. So we wanted to focus on things where we felt that people could actually make an impact themselves. So regardless of the work environment they were in, there are still some things they could do to improve their emotional salary. And security is you have no control over 
whether or not a company is going to go into liquidation next week yeah, or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond sort of changing your career or changing exactly. your role, but it's kind of anchored to that role that's kind of out mm. with outside of your own set of control. I'd kind of like to just hear a little bit more from you on the inspiration one. A lot of the others, yeah. I think, are things that we're aware of and can come across in some of the other areas, like you referenced Dan Pink, and there are other places where these are a little bit more prominent, potentially. With inspiration, you talked about things like values alignment, you talked about possibility, you talked about hope, you talked in words that made me think a little bit around the, I guess, the domain of positive psychology and things like psychological capital and those framings of that yeah. positive set of emotions. But could you expand on that a little bit more and yeah. talk about that and how that affects us maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And positive psychology was actually one of our guiding principles when we started this piece of research. But yeah, I mean, inspiration is really important because our values have such an impact on how we perceive the world. And if we can align our values with our work, then it makes us feel like anything is possible. And it really does encourage us to do our best possible work because it feels seamless. We feel hopeful. We see possibilities, both in ourselves and in others. We're able to connect with other people, to be inspired by other people, but not just that, but to inspire others ourselves. I can't remember, I, I saw a quote just this morning and it was something, it's, it's a quote I've seen before, and it was something along the lines of, you don't have to be a leader to be a leader. You don't have to have a title to be a leader. And it's very much about that. It's very much about being able to do the best you can possibly do and be the best you can possibly be because of that alignment and this belief and hope for the future. Yeah, that's nice. I've got one of the quotes I happen to have on my desktop at the minute on the sort of value space I kind of like was from Michelle Obama, who talked at, at one of the American universities. And she said, I have learned that as long as I hold fast to my beliefs and values and follow my moral compass, then the only expectations I need to live up to are my own. And there's something kind of liberating and freeing within that positivity of defining our own constraints around what good looks like that I think can, yeah, absolutely. can lead into that space, which I think is nice. And on the creativity space, you talked about creativity and you talked about enjoyment. And one of the things that is a bit of a bugbear of mine is I believe there's a bit of a preconception that a lot of work needs to be difficult or arduous or unpleasant. Otherwise, it ceases to be work, right? So like, if it's fun, it's not work. And I think that goes against some of the strengths-based and more positive approaches to work. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit more and tell me a little bit more about the role of creativity and enjoyment and what your views are on whether that is permissible in work? How does that equate to work? How is playfulness work or not? I think the first thing I'd say is this is one of the reasons why we created, why we worked on this framework was because there is this kind of preconceived idea that work should be painful, that work is just an exchange of work for money and it's a necessary evil and we have to do it to survive. But actually, as we've already said, work gives us so much more and there's so much research which demonstrates that when people are having fun, when people are relaxed, when people have the opportunity to express their original ideas, to do things, to kind of step out of the norm, that creativity increases, innovation increases, it has a positive impact 
in terms of motivation, in terms of productivity. So for me, I think we need to be really enhancing that and and creating spaces for people to be more creative at work, to have more fun at work. It's just so important. Yeah, it's liberating, isn't it? And you talked about flow earlier. And I, I kind of think that probably there's a bit of an overlap between enjoying what we do and being in state to flow. I mean, it's, it's that optimal performance space kind of Definitely. brings some of that together into an enriching experience for us and productive benefits for those around us and sort of social contagion of positive emotions, all those lovely things. It's very nice. So what do we do with this, right? I mean, if we go out there, if we have one of these audits, if we get a score and like we do it and score ourselves and we get, say, our 10 results back across these different factors, how does that help me? What do I do once I've got that information? So I think as an individual, when you develop an awareness of your emotional salary and what's important to you, it enables you to do several different things. Firstly, it enables you to have the conversations that you might need to have. And one of the things that was really important for us in creating this was that it was a framework that individuals and leaders could use to have open and honest conversations about what people need and want from work, because that doesn't happen. In our experience, that doesn't happen. And that was one of our the driving forces behind creating this was making it easier for people to have these conversations. So number one, it enables you to have some open and honest conversations about what's important for you. I think as well, that helps you to recognize perhaps longer term what you want from your career. Do you want to move in a certain direction? So that could inform what kind of projects you decide you want to work on or what type of companies you might decide that you want to work in during your career or it could just be about setting yourself some personal goals to inspire other people more or to think about how you can align your work with your purpose so it could be just about getting more kind of fulfillment on a personal level and as we said Work takes up such a huge amount of time in our lives that if we're miserable at work, we're probably going to be miserable for some of the time we're outside of work. So gaining an awareness of our emotional salary actually empowers us to take responsibility and to make decisions to improve our emotional salary and to gain more fulfillment. So Yes, that's going to have a positive impact on our work life, but I think that's obviously going to have a positive impact on our life outside of work as well. Yeah, and a lot of people are miserable in work, aren't they? I mean, it's been a case for a while that engagement is not high. In terms of the practicalities of what I could do, say I get an audit of my emotional salary, I've got that information. I go to my boss, I could say, well, let's have a chat about this. I've done some reflection, I've done some thinking. These are the things, I think this is interesting. What do you see the next stage of that being? Do you see it moving towards changing careers? Do you see it looking towards a job crafting conversation with your line manager? Do you see it as changing internally? What do you see that next potential pathway being to shape To be honest, it depends on the environment that you're working in. In an ideal world, what I would see would be a job crafting conversation, would be sitting down with your manager to say, look, I've done this and it's made me realize that actually... I'd like some exposure to these types of projects. Is that something that we can put a plan into place to do in the future? So that would be the ideal, would be to have those conversations which lead to some changes at work, 
that mean you are going to be more fulfilled, you're working towards your career goals. But obviously, that depends on your leader. It depends on their knowledge of emotional salary. It depends on the constraints that they have on them from the organization. Sometimes we've seen it. You could have a brilliant boss who's 100% behind you, but the organizational policies and procedures don't allow them to have that job crafting conversation. So that's what it comes back to those three kind of elements that are responsible for this, the individual, the leader, and the organization. We spoke earlier about work and life being blended, and we don't put on a different set of clothes and come out of a phone box and be a different person at the end of the day. We transition across. When we're looking at the emotional salary aspects of things we take from the workplace, if we have deficits in our workplace, is there scope to bring these aspects into the forefront of our outside of work life to give us a little bit of enrichment in that sphere as well. So for example, if mastery is something that I feel I'm lacking in the workplace, were I to take up uh, an instrument and join a symphony and progress in that, would that help alleviate some of that that deficit, would you say? How does the work and non-work life blend across this? I think it depends how important your work is to you. I think there's one thing, I mean, absolutely, you can find mastery in other areas of life. You can express your creativity in other areas of life. But if your mastery and creativity is being constrained at work, that's not going to make you, just because you can get it somewhere else outside of work, that's not going to make you more fulfilled at work. So, for example, with mastery, what can happen with mastery is, is we're not allowed the time we need to deliver excellent work. And we're seeing that more and more often nowadays. Companies are putting more and more pressure on people to produce quickly. And that leads to feelings of stress, feelings of overwhelm, feeling like you're never doing good enough work because you're not given the time that you want to produce excellent work. And you could go out and learn guitar and practice your mastery outside of work. That's not going to change the fact that inside work, your mastery is is really being constrained. Yeah. So if setting aside the constraints that a leader might have imposed on them, meaning that they couldn't enter into a job crafting conversation, assuming that they had some sort of autonomy of themselves in that space, how would somebody go about sort of setting out the business case for them to have job crafting around these you know, if somebody was to go up to their leader, their leader wasn't in a position to do this. What would you say the benefits are for the organization of somebody having this? How would you do that little sales pitch? So for me, I mean, there are very, very clear correlations between these factors and motivation. These are the things that motivate people at work. These are the things that lead to higher levels of employee engagement. These are the things that lead to better performance. So all of those benefits that you get from that are going to translate into benefits for the company. And we're not just talking about increased productivity. Nowadays, we're also talking about reputation. I think we've seen numerous examples in the press over the last 12 to 18 months about how companies who are treating their employees badly, about how that is impacting how their customers feel about them, how their clients feel about them. So there's that reputation piece as well. There's there's all of those productivity benefits and the financial benefits that run from that, but there's also that kind of reputational benefit as well. 
Yeah, so there's a clear business case around it for leaders and I guess for organizations to step into this as well. As you were speaking, I, I had another reflection, something I wanted to touch on. Quite often as humans, we acclimatize or attenuate to the different circumstances and situations that we're in. So we'll have a, a boost as a result of a change. And then we'll kind of go back to our trend line in terms of self-reporting on things. What's your sense good of... Good old hedonic adaptation. Uh, exactly. And I know right. you've got a really good kind of summary about it on your oh, website. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. In terms of that, do you think we do adapt across these different factors? What's your sense? Is this something that needs to be a live project that we're always evolving in and moving in, or is there a fixed point? Yeah, it absolutely does have to be something that we're continuously aware of for exactly the reasons that you said. That was one of the psychological principles that definitely informed our research, this fact that we do get, we do kind of just return to this baseline level of satisfaction after a while. So we need to gain awareness of our emotional salary and we need to just maintain an awareness and every now and then sit down and think about, okay, so how are things going? Am I happy with what's happening at work? Which of these elements am I still lacking? What can I do to get more of this? Yeah, it's that that constant attention can help us both be masters of our career and our experiences and have these different aspects, which is great. It very much reminds me of gratitude, you know, having a gratitude practice. If you sit down on a regular basis and write down what you're grateful for, that's going to have a much more positive impact. You're going to feel more grateful. And it's the same with this. If you, every now and then you sit down, you think about, okay, so what is my emotional salary? How would I score it today? And you've got to recognize it's going to go up and down. Anything that happens at work could impact your emotional salary. A colleague that you're close with might leave. That's going to have a massive impact. Your boss could change. Massive impact. The systems that you use at work, policies, procedures, all of those things can have an impact on your emotional salary. It's not something that is static. It's fluid and constantly changing. Yeah, lovely. I've got one more focus question before we check out, which is, I guess this is a really useful tool. There's some wonderful stuff in here and it gives us a real way to visualize and give language to some of the things we experience at work that that shape our experience, our level of fulfillment and our productivity or performance or whatever other words we want to use in that space. What would your kind of ask be for managers as a result of knowing this? If managers are suddenly aware of these different factors and the way that they manifest in their teams, what would you ask of managers to, I guess, do holding this in mind? talk to your team. (laughs) I think fundamentally, just develop an awareness and understanding of your own emotional salary. I always say with leaders, it's a bit like the oxygen mask on a plane, put your own on before you help somebody else. So for a leader, understanding your own emotional salary will really help you work with your team in improving their emotional salary. So the first step is understand what it's all about. Secondly, talk to your team, have open conversations with them. One of the things that frustrates me most and what frustrated me most when I worked in the HR field was people are not having these conversations and they should be. And there's so much scope for so many people to have a much more positive experience of work if they did have these conversations, because a lot of these things are not about big things. They're about small things. They're not about things that cost a lot of money. They're about the simple things. They're about telling your colleagues 
or your team that you appreciate them and value them. They're about asking for people's input on a change of process or procedure. They're not massive things. These are small things that we can all do to make a huge difference. Well, that's a lovely call to action. So thank you for that. In the interest of time, I'm going to wrap us up and draw the, uh, the conversation to a close. Just before we go, though, how could people find out more about you and find out more about the emotional salary or, or even explore one of the audits or self-assessments? I'm always happy for people to connect with me on LinkedIn, despite what LinkedIn says. It might say Claude professor to be followed, but I don't. Please happily connect with me. So LinkedIn is a good place because that's where we kind of share tips, ideas, infographics. It's where we're trying to raise awareness about emotional salary. So connect with me on a personal level or link to our company page, which is Emotional Salary Barometer. Or have a look at our website, which is emotional-salary.com. So they're probably the, the easiest ways. But I'm always open to answering questions or having conversations about me because it's something that I feel very passionate about. Yeah, it's a passion project. That's lovely to see. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, James, for making it such an easy process. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, as well as these podcasts... We deliver at least one free online seminar every month that everyone can attend. You can sign up for these and our newsletter, The Wow Mail, on our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io.